The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Joel Presby, an author who writes for Bain Books and most prominently with David Weber. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on. So let's get started with just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from, and kind of work your way into how you got into the writing business. All right. Well, uh, at the Naval Academy, everybody has to memorize your hometown. And so I told people that I was from Columbus, Ohio, because people can memorize that. But I was actually born in France and grew up in West Africa because my parents were missionaries. Um, But that was way too complicated for people who were being yelled at to memorize. (laughs) So I went to high school in in a suburb of, of Greater Columbus and uh, got my nomination to the Naval Academy. And, and so here's, here's my proof. I've got my class crest on my mug there. And to tell us a little bit about how you got that nomination, because that's uh, it's different than applying to college. Yes, yes it is. Um, I was already writing and had decided in high school that I wanted to be a professional writer if I could be. I didn't have a lot of confidence that I would be able to sell things because I submitted a bunch of short stories while I was in high school. And actually, in retrospect, I was getting incredibly positive responses because I was getting responses that weren't just blanket, but they kept saying things like, this is the beginning of a novel. This is not a short story. (laughs) So then I, I went ahead and I wrote a novel, but I didn't submit it anywhere. And I was trying to figure out what to do for a career. And one of my favorite writers was Heinlein who had gone to the United States Naval Academy. And I, I know other people have different views, but at that point I decided that going to college was a waste of money for someone who wanted to be a professional writer. And so when I found out that there existed service academies and in the United States, women were allowed to join the military, which was not the case in Cameroon, in West Africa, um, I. I decided I had a wonderful option here that I would go to a Naval Academy or West Point or the Air Force Academy, and they would give me a job when I was commissioned, and I would have no student loans. And so I I came home excited and told my parents that I wanted to go to West Point because I was kind of smart and I'd done really well on the PSAT, so I was getting loads of colleges sending me stuff. Uh, because I was a national merit finalist. And West Point was the first of the service academies to send me something. And I told my parents that I was going to West Point and they said, no, you are not. (laughs) um, So I had a week to work on them before the Naval Academy sent me its flyer. And, And so they grudgingly 
accepted that I might try going to a week long event at the Naval Academy. There was a, a, a thing where you attend classes by actual professors and they're really nice to you for about five days and then they yell at you like it's plebe summer. And a lot of people then decide that the service academy is not for them. <laughs> but I, I, I was not deterred. And so I, I filled out the, the applications to, you had, I had two Congress people uh, and well, you have your own Congress person and you have your two senators and then there's the vice president. You have to get a nomination from one of them. Um, my sen one of my senators at the time was John Glenn. Um, mm. He was actually in space while I was applying. Remember, he was an astronaut, and then he became a politician, and then he convinced NASA to send him up again. And I got a nomination from John Glenn. I never met him, but his his committee sent me a nomination, and that was very exciting for me. Did you have to interview? You had to interview with their staff, right? Right. Uh, well, okay. John Glenn's staff never interviewed anybody. So I had already received his nomination and the other politicians get told who is nominated who because there's only a certain amount of nominations and they would like to get as much favor out of this as they can. And so if, if someone who is connected enough that, that major donors are saying, hey, you wanna support this friend's cousin and their, their grades are good enough that they could actually get through the service academy, they might want to not give a nomination to someone who already has a nomination in another place where they're not going to be, where it's not going to be as appreciated. So I, at, at my other two actual interviews, they already knew that Glenn's office had given me a nomination. And so it was a, a weird interview where they, instead of asking me questions about me, they were asking me questions about, well, how did you get this nomination? What was his office's process because he was the senior senator and he put it out faster than anybody else and I, I had to tell him honestly I don't know there was his office didn't have any application format or anything I filled out the form and sent them my my SAT scores and then I figured out what their address was and mailed them the same stuff that you guys asked for and somehow that worked hey nothing wrong with that and, and at first I was, I, my, my dad talked me into doing it. I was, I was afraid they were going to be irritated that she doesn't know how to follow directions because nobody asked for it. I figure it depends on the, the congressperson or the senator. Some of them are really into it and then others are just, it's kind of like, I'm not saying that Glenn's was an afterthought, right? But yeah. um, there's just different, like some will personally interview you, others We'll just have their staffs do it. Others won't do it at all. Why the Naval Academy and not West Point? Well, Heinlein didn't go to West Point. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> also, uh, my, my parents were so strongly against West Point, And I thought the Naval Academy, you know, it sends people to be Marines as well as Naval officers. I thought at the Naval Academy, I could effectively do the Army by being a Marine. And, and then... Uh, figured out during the first two years that actually I was not physically suited to be a Marine. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be a Marine, but I kept trying to do the Marine Corps obstacle course and, and doing 
these these events that were more focused on becoming a Marine officer as opposed to becoming a Naval officer. And I was really bad at it. I mean, I was working as hard as I could and I was getting barely the minimums to not be dropped from, from that, that summer event and have to go back and go on sailboats. I realized that the things that relate to the Navy nuclear power officer track were actually pretty easy for me. And I was, I was doing very well at those, those courses that directly relate to it and being one of one of the top in the class. And so if I would actually focus on that instead of trying to figure out how to climb a rope better, <laughs> then I, I could really excel. And, and that, that proved to be the case. Um, so uh, I did very well academically at the Naval Academy and I got to go to graduate school immediately after at Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey. Oh, wow. As, as, as an ensign, I was going to grad school um, as one of 30. And the way, for those of you who are not in the military, in the military, you accrue vacation days in a similar way to how civilian companies do it. But instead of having a fixed PTO amount, you have liberty and you have leave. And leave is on a day-by-day -day unit. It's vacation where you can go pretty much anywhere while liberty is you're just done working for day, today and you're going home or it's saturday and you don't have to come into work because you don't have duty this particular saturday as a newly commissioned officer you start with a zero day leave balance and so here i was one of these these lucky few who were going to grad school immediately and grad school at naval postgraduate school might be run by a lot of military professors, but it's still following a regular school organization where there's time off for Thanksgiving and there's time off for a, a winter break that matches Christmas. <laughs> and uh, you don't, when you start in May, actually accrue enough leave days to take both all of Christmas and all four days of Thanksgiving so you have to pick which one you're gonna go home for. But the entire state of California was the Liberty Radius. So there was a thing called a science fiction convention that I had never heard of before. And on Thanksgiving weekend in Los Angeles, California, there was a science fiction convention. And um, there was this group called Bain Books. See that little logo right there, Bain Books. And they had a, a very active uh, group online that I'd been talking to all through the Naval Academy. And so I'd made these friends, but I'd never met them in person. And they were telling me that science fiction conventions are a lot of fun. And so I met around 40 friends who I'd never seen before for breakfast uh, Friday morning at LostCon in the convention hotel. Um, to attend my very first science fiction convention. And while I was there, the people at breakfast say, hey, you're in the Navy. We know one other person at this entire convention who's also in the Navy and sent a minion off to find this guy named Andy Presby, who I later married. <laughs> the, the, this kind of luck just doesn't happen to other people. Uh, didn't, didn't he also go to the Navy, Naval Academy? Andy is not a Naval Academy grad. He went to a, okay. he went to Carnegie Mellon. 
That's a good school. Electrical engineer or computer science guy? Uh, physics. Okay, that's an easy. That's easy. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Poor, poor Andy was rather than like me deciding between um, nuclear power and the Marine Corps was deciding between theater and and trying to build um, build Star Trek ships for real in physics. Okay, so you went to Carnegie Mellon, and then he was in the. He was a submariner, right? Yes, he was a submariner. He he'd done a, a more normal route of going to his first submarine and doing a good enough job that the Navy decided, hey, this is a smart person. We will pay to send him to grad school. And so he was also going to grad school at the same time I was, just in a different program. Was that Na uh, Na um, Navy New? Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Oh, so wait, so you had to go to LOSCON to meet your future husband when he was already when when he was already at the same when he was living five program? minutes from me and and going to i was walking by him on, on paths between buildings daily yeah it's funny how things work <laughs> yeah so how did you get into the writing business um well i finished my first novel in high school and um continued writing after that uh, but wasn't writing a, very much compared to later while I was active duty. I met Andy at the science fiction convention. Um, we popped around between various uh, duty assignments, not being in the same country or even anywhere near each other for a couple years. Finally, the Navy uh, stationed us in the same place in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I was on the Eisenhower and he was on a, a submarine staff there. Um, but I got sick. Um, and at that point, the Navy had spent a lot of time and effort on training me. And so they were not eager to let me go. My ship was in the shipyard. And so I, I continued doing as much of my job as I could and going off to visit doctors to try to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, when the ship was ready to leave the shipyard, they, they were then willing to let me go to a staff to continue to visit with doctors. Um, and the Navy then an, another year and a half uh, gave me a medical discharge. And I'm okay, I'm not dying. I'm just not medically allowed to be active duty because you gotta be, you gotta be perfect for that. Um, and, but that was, that had a huge silver lining. Andy, all this time, even back before I met him at LostCon, had been a huge fan of this guy named David Weber. And uh, Andy's degrees at Naval Postgraduate School uh, were spacecraft engineering and aeronautics. And he was assisting David Weber in designing spaceships, helping to make the Honorverse ships um, have as little magic and as much science as possible. Mm -hmm. um, how, did, how did he get involved in that? Uh, he met him at a con and told him what his background was and said he'd love to help if ever he could. I didn't even know they did spaceship design at the Naval Postgraduate School. Yeah. I always thought it was yeah. mainly like like DLI, like the Defense Language Institute and stuff like that. But Defense Language Institute is all about languages, translators. Right, right. That's oh, that, whenever I, whenever I hear... Graduate School was only Defense Language Institute. 
Those are two yeah, yeah. separate entities entirely. They're, they're not the okay. same organization. They're both in Monterey, right? They're both in that same city, yes, but they don't okay. even share, they're, they're not next to each other as far as the grass. Okay. What else do they teach at the Naval Postgraduate? I, I know they do like business, like you can get like an, a, like an MBA there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the supply corps officers are, go there and, and study business and things relating specifically to the contract law. Um, my field was operations research, which is mm-hmm. math with teeth. Um, there's a, a large oceanography component, um, which is very useful for submarine warfare. Um, let's see, uh, a, lot of, a lot of engineering, a lot of systems engineering, um, because anytime you, you have a ship, you've got electrical engineering and mechanical, and you, you need to put it all together. And um, degree programs don't necessarily normally offer that. So whenever there's anything that the Navy wants to have an in-depth focus on, um, they might try to convince professors to teach it at the Naval Postgraduate School. Um, let's see, there's also computer science programs. Um, my roommate um, at, uh, at grad school was an electrical engineering major. I'm sure there's more, but those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head, thinking through the, the 30 students who were ensigns that I spent a lot of time with and what they were focused on. Okay, but they also have an aeronautical engineering program yes. with yes. a focus on spaceship design as one. Yes. Or spaceship or spacecraft? Spacecraft. Okay. All right. Sorry, I sounded really dumb. <laughs> okay. All right. So you meet David Weber at this con. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he was, since I didn't marry him, he wasn't actually my focus at that point. <laughs> he was just uh, another uh, another author who was being nice to everybody. Um, but uh, Andy and I made a point of going to conventions as fans in the, in the subsequent years as we could. Um, and Andy continued mostly by email supporting David. And there were several other people who were kind of being David's core supporters and trying to help him with continuity and whatever else he wanted in order to make him able to write faster and to try to figure out what things doesn't he want to do and can we do them to help him. The, the sort of things that all writers dream that one day there'll be a group of fans that will do that for them. Um, I'm, I'm sure the, the fans also were in some ways an annoyance to David and distractions, but they were trying not to be. Uh, Tony Weisskopf at Bain started talking to David about how it was coming up on the 20th anniversary of the first release of On Basilisk Station, which was his very first honorverse novel. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to have him put out something that would be uh, in recognizing that that milestone year and some other writers had had companion sort of fictional nonfiction encyclopedias that were being released relating to their major milestone events and so she suggested he do that but you know David two kids getting those kids are getting closer and closer to high school yes people would buy this but they'd probably not buy it at the rate that they buy say a new honorverse novel however his fans 
Andy's group hear about this and, and they're excited and he mentions it to them and asks, would they be willing to help? And the answer is a huge scream of absolutely yes. And so after talking back and forth with Tony a little bit, this group of nine people actually incorporated as an uh, entity, BU9, imitating David's BU ships and so forth and BU PERS, mm -hmm. and uh, signed a contract with Bain Books to produce something called the Otterverse Companion. Um, did I grab that and bring it down here? Which eventually became this and did in fact come out on time and include an fictional encyclopedia and all this stuff. Um, and Andy was a, a major push in the, in the group agreeing that, yeah, we can do this, we can make this happen. But in the military, you change jobs periodically and you don't know what your next job is going to be. So between signing the contract and the time when a lot of work needed to be done, Andy got moved from a job where he had a fair amount of free time working on a staff to a job where he really didn't have much free time at all being an executive officer. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't part of the nine, but I was seeing this and looking to me like it was gonna fall apart. And so I stepped in and started doing a lot of management and and editorial support and, and writing sections of it, researching through all the books of what was printed to make sure what we wrote was matching what was printed um, and any additional tidbits made sense and coordinating with the other eight and, and we got it done. And we, we had a, a meeting with David with as many other people who could make it and we we're celebrating all this. And so Tony comes out with another request. Hey, David, how about you write us a short story for Bain to put on Bain.com? And David's like, my short stories are novellas. <laughs> there's, there's, I have kind of a natural thing that I produce and it's not that short. Well, I go over in my corner and I write a piece of in honor verse fiction. And I had no idea at the time that this would, would go to, where it did, but so I wrote this thing and I thought it was really pretty good. So I shared it with the other, the other eight people in, in Andy's Bu9 group and, and they were positive, had some tweaks and I made them. And then without talking to me, they share it with Sharon Rice Weber, David's wife. And she, again, without telling me she'd even seen it, gives it to David. And David also likes it. And David gives it to Tony. And Tony publishes it. <laughs> did, I mean, did, did she call you or let you know? Or? Before, she, before it went on the website, um, they, they had me you know, sign a contract and get paid for it. But, but I did not submit that short story to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I just shared it. And, and I'm, I'm lucky. I mean, if I posted it on my Facebook page instead, it would never have gone anywhere. <laughs> Right. And, so, and that, so, so how did that happen? She just, you just got an email just saying, I'm publishing your story. Here's a contract. If, if I remember right, David forwarded me, forwarded me an email from her because she didn't have my contact information. 
I mean, I hadn't formatted it on the top with, you know, Joel Presby, not a CIFWA member. Here's my address. Here's my email. Here's my phone number. <laughs> X thousand words. I, it was just a, you know, a word file. Um, and then the, the folks on the Bain website, the Bain boards really liked my short story and, and were telling David and Tony how much they liked it. And so Tony then invited me to write another short story with those same characters in the Honorverse. And so my second sale came out in hardcover in a, in a Worlds of Honor anthology, Beginnings. And then I guess I was, I was easy enough to work with that David turned around and talked to Tony about one of his, his theories is that hadn't um, had, that had not had a new entry in it for a while um, because Linda Evans had gotten sick. That would be the multiverse series. And he convinced Tony to give me a contract to let me write in it. And then there's my name again. Cool. On my first novel, The Road to Hell. And that, I mean, I, at any point, of, I did not expect these <laughs> just to happen like that. And, and, and so, how do those, how do those, when you're writing in his universe, how do those contracts work? Um, for, for other people, those contracts can be, can be pretty nasty, but David is an extremely generous human being who really likes to give back to the writing community. Um, I, he's, he splits the advance 50, 50, and then the royalties 50, 50. And my contribution, I mean, yes, I'm working my butt off, but he, his skills, when someone has written dozens and dozens of, of well-written, polished novels, it's not the same as somebody's first book. Right, right. Yeah, and um, I'm sure every collaboration is different, but in the collaboration work that I've done with him, we work together to come up with an outline and then discuss how the twists and turns are going to be. Uh, the outline's fairly detailed as in chapter by chapter, and then we divide which chapter is going to be primarily written by which person. The multiverse series really fits well with a collaboration sort of environment because there are two civilizations fighting each other. And so mm -hmm. there's the, the conflict with all the scenes where the people at the front are, you know, lobbing fireballs from, from dragons and shooting with, with small arms across the other way. And then there's different characters at the back of the, the portal universe chains who are making the decisions that will determine who actually has logistic support to be able to win. And, and then of course the, the scheming groups who are bad guys in each civilization who are trying to take advantage of, of the opportunity to, to backstab somebody as is convenient for them. That so sounds I, about right. <laughs> I, I write the backstabbers, which for those people who are in the Navy understand that that is the appropriate position for a SWO officer to do. And, and David <laughs> writes the, the glorious heroic fighters at the front on each side. That makes sense. It's the it's backstabbers though who are more interesting and and diabolical. So, um, and in terms of who would you stepping back, who would you consider yeah. your influences to be, your writing influences? Well, um, 
obviously Heinlein is a is a huge influence, and and David Weber is a huge influence. I'm just looking at my stack of books here. Um, I I really enjoy urban fantasy and especially Jim Butcher. Um, and I whenever someone is selling really well and I also enjoy it, I reread their books a lot and try to figure out what their techniques are and if I can if I can imitate them and, and learn to do some of that as well. So like I, I have little kids, so I've been rereading JK Rowling's Harry Potter series and, and looking at how she does characterization and how she builds her world. And you know, it, it's, it's not the same genre, but sometimes the tools that people use can be used in other genres, even if they're mm -hmm. not always used. And what, what's your favorite uh, Heinlein book? Uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, they kind of ruined the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they wrote, a, they wrote Bug Hunt, and then they just slapped on the name. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. What, what do you like most about Starship Troopers? You know, I, I feel like I should be ready to answer that question. But there's there, there's so many little pieces where he uses only a few words and, and communicates very clearly information like when he's referencing somebody who's important and he says that and 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 you know that okay that that's an important person um when there's um, a, a scene with a teacher and they're talking about violence never solving anything and actually no no that's really not true at all <laughs> um it, it, there's just so many great parts yeah, I think I mean the the philosophy he communicates there is somewhat controversial, um, but I hate to say it, but it it resonates a bit with me. And by philosophy, I mean in that society, only people who served vote, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would solve most of our problems overnight in the U.S. But again, um, other people would say that's fascism. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right so but the the central conceit that he has is that the people who are willing to sacrifice are the ones who are most deserving of the right to vote mm -hmm. and the right to run a civilization and it's not something that is an inherent characteristic it's a choice now, you know, it's a choice to serve. Anybody can serve. Now, you can get into the, the details and say that, well, there's, there's people who are disabled and things like that can't, you know, obviously can't serve because their disabilities make it difficult. I disagree with that statement, but okay. Well, I'm talking about like in... I'm not talking about like in the far future, right? I'm talking about... No, like, I, I, I mean, even now, um, having having been in the Navy and had shore jobs and sea jobs, there, there's a lot of work that can be done without, yeah, you're not gonna be in the kind of jobs that will lead you to one day be you know, fleet admiral. But if, if you have a, a mental condition where you're just not that smart, we still need a lot of paper shredded in the military. Yeah. You, you could you could do you could do two years and um, you know have passed the security clearance and push a cart through 
a, a secure compartment and collect paper and shred it. And you would you would provide a useful service. Yeah, but but right now they don't do that, right? Right. We we don't. Yeah. We don't have to. Um and but we could. Yeah, and I and and that's and that's kind of what I'm trying to you know, or trying to get to is that um if if you were to solve that problem, right? The problem being that the current restrictions mm-hmm. on um, you know, either mental capacity, or even physical capacity, right? Um, like there, there are jobs you can do as well if you're completely paralyzed, right? The all mental jobs, but right now the, you know, the, the military is still restrictive on, on, you know, things, things like both mental and, and physical disabilities. But if you were able to solve for that so that literally anyone in the, in the country could serve if they chose to, um, I'm I'm not sure it would be a bad a bad philosophy, you know. Um, but again, it's highly controversial, and I don't, you know, I don't, you don't have to. You don't have to it, it might help if that happens. Again, this is this is this is yeah. This is all this is all theoretical. If, right. if it did happen, it's possible that it would also culturally um, help people have more respect for folks who have limitations. To right. To, if if they worked alongside folk more often, um, well, it would I, also it would also help um, bring bring the country together. I, I think one of the reasons, and again, I'm not going to get too much into politics, but um, in addition to the internet being one one reason, right, mm-hmm. um, with you know search algorithms and things like that, one of the in my opinion, one of the reasons for the intense polarization of the country is the all-volunteer force was, I think, a huge positive for the country. But the one thing that we lost was you you didn't get different, um, you know, people with different, you know, varying or extreme, I shouldn't say extreme, but um, varying backgrounds together, right? So, uh, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of rich people who serve because yeah. they don't have to. So the people who end up becoming elites, because let's face it, it's not fair, but people with money tend to um, you know be much more difficult to dislodge. So they they end up in positions of power. They have no they have no clue. They have no clue. And look, I I've you know. I, I've I've gone to institutions where I've run into these people and they have no idea. And, and as a result, it, it there's also, and having been in the military as you have, um, you know, there's a certain self-selection bias that goes in like people who are patriotic, um, but also don't have the resources to either go to straight to college or um, you, you have at least in the enlisted side. Very true. Very true. If, for instance, in my own case, if, if I could have gone to any college <laughs> and my parents could have paid out of pocket so that tuition was not having a student loan was not a, a possibility, not, not a thing that was going to happen. I might not have been as attracted to a service Academy at all. If it didn't matter, you know, if yeah. I wasn't going to be saddled with 
with debt. And if, if afterwards it didn't matter whether or not I immediately found a job, because if I couldn't find a job, I could go work at daddy's company. Yeah. Like I, the only reason I was able to attend Stanford is because I have an RTC scholarship full stop. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, getting back, getting back to the point, the reason that I, I feel this kinship with Heinlein in that particular philosophy is, you know, at being an American in 2022 and being exposed to both these worlds, right? Even my wife, my wife, my wow. wife went to um, you know, the same school I did <laughs> and she was an army wife and it was the first time in her life that she was exposed to that world mm-hmm. and it changed her. Like it changed her philosophy on uh, or, or, or her visual map of the world. And, and look, she was again, I, I, I'm, well, I won't go there. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get into politics or anything like that, but, um, but there's just, there's whole segments of, of the population that have not only physically segregated themselves from each other, but also uh, from an information standpoint with, you know, algorithms in, you know, search algorithms that cater to what you want to see. And the more you do that, it just, you get channeled outward. So anyway, I didn't mean to go, <laughs> I took us, I took us in a wild odyssey about Heinlein's philosophy, but um, that's why there's some resonance for me, at least in, in that particular philosophy, because there's, there's just not a common template for, you know, what, what is the purpose of American society? And, um, and it's, it's not that any, any side is wrong or, you know, inimical in some way. It's just, they just have widely different views of, of reality. And having been at the nexus of that, like I can kind of see them both. I see where they're both coming from and they're just talking past each other. It's really, it's a shame because it, you know, it's something that if if we don't figure it out, it could lead to violence. So anyway, going back to the writing. All right. What, what, what do you have coming out? What, what should people, if they, if they wanted to start reading, uh, you know, any, it works by you. What, what should they check out? Okay. Well, uh, I very much want people to uh, pre-order my book that's coming in November, which is uh, The Dabere Snake Launcher, uh, which draws on my, my youth in West Africa, and also the, the job that I had after the Navy, where I was working as a corporate consultant. I've got some, some mega corporations who are, who are building a space elevator, and they're doing it in Kilimanjaro in East Africa. And I, I've got other characters over on West Africa at another spaceport that has to be built in order to support the construction of the, the top orbital side and the, the base side for the elevator itself. Um, but in the meantime, since that's not actually available yet, um, I've got a number of short stories out. Um, they're in the We Dare series, No Man's Land. I've got a short story that's actually in the universe of Dabre Space Launcher. Um, from Bain, I've got a short story in Star Destroyers. Um, you can still get my short story in Beginnings. Let's see what else we got here. I did an alternate history. Uh, oh, wow. 
trilogy of short stories. These are all anthologies. Um, they're based on, let's see, here we got, we've got the, the naval side with those in peril. And then we've got aviation to slip the surly browns and trouble in the wind um, is ground warfare. And that, that was a lot of fun to do something a little different. I think that's all I've got right now. Um, I do have some other things coming out, but they're they're not ready even for pre-order yet. And what projects are you working on now? I'm sure it'll probably fit in that category. But okay, um, let's see. I am working on the the sequel to The Road to Hell. I don't need to pull it up. Um, so that's Multiverse with David Weber. Um, our working title is The Band of Angels. I've wrapped up uh, the first draft of all of my chapters, which came out as 85,000 words with a novel in theory supposed to be only 110,000 words when it's finished. I'm sure David and I are going to be giving people another very big book because <laughs> half is of one. 10 is not 85. Uh, but I gave that to David a couple months ago and we're going to talk it through at Liberty Con about you know re revisions and how we're going to fit together with his other writing schedule stuff. And uh, Bain has already given me a contract for the sequel to Dabare Snake Launcher, my solo novel. And so oh, that's I'm, great. I'm also working on that one. Um, it's going to be I'm going to jump a, a few hundred years, and it's going to be set in the rings of Saturn and the plan is that that is actually going to be book one of a series that we will then follow those characters for a while. And uh, Dabre Snake Launcher is near-term hard science fiction, and I intend to, the, the term is a little farther out then, but I intend to stick with the, the hard science fiction um, focus. Uh, Saturn, we've got a ton of new information about, about that planet and the area around it from the Cassini probe. And mm -hmm. um, there's not been a lot of people writing in that area. And I, I would love it if, if a few more authors would want to write about stuff in Saturn and we could be, um, I don't know, urban space something as, as a genre altogether and, and, and have, have great anthologies to help sell each other's stuff. Saturn's got you know a, a ton of rings and then uh, a bunch of moons. Um, so you've got a lot of water already out there. Phoebe is one, one of the, the fun moons out there. What about Phoebe's fun about th that particular satellite? Uh, it, it's just one, one of the locations that I, I'm still in the very early, early stages of, of putting together the, this, this novel. Um, but so I'm, I'm going to wait to, to reveal exactly which things I'm going to go with on that. Okay. Um, and then one random question. You said you were a corporate consultant for. Yes, I worked for Booz Allen Hamilton. Okay. Did you work for their uh, defense side, or did you work I, for their? I, I worked for the defense side. Um, and what what time horizon? Because I, I did like a I did like a summer internship there. Like, like we we might have run into each other at some point. Um, uh, probably probably not, because I think you graduated from the Naval Academy the same year I I, I did. Because you graduated from uh, the Naval Academy in two thousand three. I I did yes. Um. So I was with Booz Allen. Let's see. It was two thousand and nine, and then I. I think my last year with them was 2015. And, and anybody who's checking me could just check my LinkedIn profile and say, no, it's 2016. She doesn't know her own life. But <laughs> I, I, was, and did, I was there for a couple of years. 
And didn't they didn't they split the two like the the commercial side from the government's federal side? Uh, yes, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton and Booz and Company. But that split happened before I was hired by them. Okay. All right. Anyway, I was just just um, morbidly curious about that. And All right. Well, it was a pleasure. My side was making more money, and so the the principals on my side would want him to not stop sharing so much money. And the, the corporate side was like, fine, then we'll keep our own money. Someday we'll make more money than you. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds about right. All right. Well, uh, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, you're going to be joining us again for the next episode, which will be on my perennial. Uh, I keep saying favorite topic, but it's pretty morbid when I say that. Um, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine. War. Most interesting topic. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> most timely. What's that? Most timely topic. Yeah. Most. Mo- most. Yeah. Most timely. Yeah. Some. Some people probably every time they see it, they're like, "Oh, he's talking about this again." Oh. Uh. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, people watch them, so I guess. I guess they're. They're somewhat. Uh, useful to to people, but I look forward to talking with you about that conflict in the next episode. Thank you again. Thank you. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.